Mark's Gospel is the shortest of the four Gospels. It's also the earliest to be written. It's fast-paced, and in just those few verses that we've read together this morning, there are so many different themes that come bombarding at us. But as Mark says in verse 1, that the sole purpose of his writing is to tell us the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pray as we open these verses together this morning. Lord Jesus, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will bring these words to life, help them to resonate in our lives in these early days of 2021. We just pray that again, we will hear your call to follow after you, to come after you in repentance and faith. So we ask that you'll be with us this morning, through Jesus' sake. Amen. Preparation in life is important. It doesn't really seem to matter what you're doing. Everyday tasks, if you're making a drink, you need to prepare it. If you're making a meal, you have to spend the time putting the ingredients together and cooking it or putting it on a plate, whatever it is. Think of other things in life, perhaps when we go back to going on holiday or you're doing some work. It it all requires preparation. You have to think ahead and plan for what is coming. At the beginning of Mark's Gospel, for 400 years prior to this, God has been silent. Since the Old Testament prophets put their pens down, God has not given his people any fresh revelation. And then we find the time of preparation comes before the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. John the Baptist foretold, Mark tells us, by the prophets Malachi and Isaiah appears in the wilderness. He's a man with a calling and a purpose from God to prepare the way for Jesus. He comes with a message of repentance and he baptizes people for the forgiveness of sins. But he says in verse 7 that one is coming after him. He will baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. But then in this passage, almost as quickly as John is introduced, he sort of exits stage left, if you like, and the spotlight then comes onto Jesus where it firmly remains for the whole of the rest of the gospel. And I think it's just a reminder as we start looking at this passage that actually everything we do, whether it's our own ministries, our own sense of calling in our lives, the ministries of our church, they're all to put the spotlight onto Jesus. They're not for their own ends, but they're to point people to him. Jesus is baptized. The Spirit falls on him at his baptism. The Father proclaims that he is pleased with his Son. And then Jesus is taken into the wilderness, tested for 40 days. That that number 40, a very significant one in the Bible. It talks about times of trial and testing, and it appears sort of periodically through the Scriptures. And here we find that 40, that significant number, is applied to Jesus as he is tested and tried. And it's not until these things that have taken place that the spotless, sinless Son of God, who is now baptized, anointed by the Spirit for ministry, tested, begins to then go out into the countryside and minister the gospel. If you do a a Google search of people's famous last words, you, you will find that there are quite a lot of people who have reportedly said either very meaningful things or at times very strange things as their parting words as they leave this earth. There are very few people who we could say have famous first words. Now, I suppose most of that is for obvious reasons. But in verse 15, we get the first words from Jesus, the Son of God, at least as recorded in Mark's Gospel. The first words of Jesus' ministry. Just look at verse 15. 
The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what Jesus says is that the time has come. All the prophets, all the Lord that pointed to the time when Jesus would send his anointed one has come. The promised rule and reign of God is here in Christ. It's drawn near. And here it has appeared in the form of God incarnate, God's son, Jesus Christ. And the kingdom, as we read the gospel, it breaks out when our lives are turned over to him as we, as God's rule and reign takes place in our hearts. But the kingdom is also yet to come and won't yet come in its completeness until Jesus returns in glory. So the response to the rule and reign of God, well, Jesus says is to repent and to believe. To repent and to believe. Let's look for a moment at that word repentance. The word repentance, the original Greek word here is the the word metanoia. Now, this this gets a bit complicated, but just stick with with me for a moment. That first part of the word, meta, is a word that we still find used in English. And it's sometimes used for quite complicated, technical-sounding words. So you may come across it in a word like meta-narrative, where it means telling the big story. Or metaphysics, an even more complicated word, all about knowledge and about knowing the origins of everything. The word metanoia that we find translated as repentance is a big-picture word. And it's a word about, if you like, having a big change of mind. Thinking about things differently, doing things differently. It's an all-encompassing sort of word. Sometimes, though, I wonder whether when we hear that word repentance, whether we think about it in a slightly more monochrome way than actually the biblical writers intend us to. I was was chatting to Claire about this during the week, and she was sort of reminding me of of, uh, when she used to work for a music charity, and she would go into schools, and she would share songs with a Christian message, and um, talk to, to younger children about what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to hold the values of the gospel close to heart. And one of the things they would talk about was the importance of saying sorry. And the importance when we do things that are wrong, is actually saying sorry to God, saying sorry to one another. And I think sometimes we can have that kind of view that that is what repentance is all about. Now, within that word repentance, there is certainly that element and that that real focus on saying sorry to God. When we've lived in ways that don't reflect what he wants for us, when we've done things that hurt God or hurt ourselves or hurt other people. And today, if you are knowingly involved in those kind of things, things that the Bible calls sin, The call of this verse is very simple. The call is to stop, turn away from them, see God's forgiveness. Don't make excuses, don't try and blame other people, but simply come and say, look, I've done something wrong, Lord, will you forgive me? And Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, his sacrificial death, we know will take that sin, has taken it upon himself and will offer us forgiveness. But this word metanoia is even richer than just coming to God and saying sorry. It's it's a word that has a deeper sense of meaning to that. It's about big changes and about sort of reorientating our life. I'm sure many of us um, at the moment go out for our our daily exercise in whatever form that takes. And, And for us, having a dog, it does normally still mean the daily dog walk. 
Now, every now and again, um, when I've got a bit longer than, say, during the week, I like to extend our dog walk. We normally go round Lim Dam, but sometimes just to carry on going, go up through um, what's called the bongs and then out onto the fields, and eventually you come to the M56. Now, it's not a very glamorous end to a walk, but that's where you get to. And when you get to the M56, you go along the motorway, and then you sort of turn back on yourself. Now, when you're up at the M56, if I turn and face the motorway, what do I see? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Trucks, lorries, cars, vans. You can smell the fumes. You can hear the noise. You can see the traffic going back and to it. It's not really the greatest of views. Now, if I focus on that, I miss out on everything else roundabout. But if I do an about turn from that view of the M56 and look the other way, and this was particularly the case when it had been snowing the other week, I get a totally different panorama. I start to see a field covered in white snow. And then at the back, there's trees, and there's some pine trees there, which look amazing when the snow had fallen. And beyond that, I look out onto Winter Hill, Rivington Pike, and right up the Pennines. And suddenly, this enormous panorama breaks out. And instead of looking at the, the noise and the dirt of the motorway, I start to see something quite different. In a sense, that is what repentance is kind of like. It's saying, actually, there's been all this noise and rubbish and stuff going on in my life, and actually, I'm going to turn my back on it. I'm not just going to try and ignore it and pretend it's not there. I'm going to turn my back on it, say sorry for it, and then look God's way and live life with a different agenda. Repentance is about fixing our eyes as much on Jesus as it is turning away from those things that we've done wrong. A complete mind change, a complete sea change, a complete heart change. From our priorities to the priorities of the kingdom, from the things that we think are best for us to the things that are on God's heart for us. Let's move on a little bit. I'm going to introduce another R word here. This word is recalibrate, or you could use readjust if you don't really like that word. These first couple of weeks of 2021, I think for, for many of us, have, have been a real challenge, haven't they? We're back in a new lockdown. We don't know the length of it. We don't know whether restrictions will get tightened before they get loosened. We see these news reports coming in every day of that, that really um, tragic loss of life that this awful disease has brought about. Just this week, I was joining in with the, the Fresh Dreams conference, and I was hearing the, the General Secretary of the Baptist Union sort of encouraging us as Christians to really be honest about how we're feeling about what is going on, to not try and hide away, but to be people of truth, people who own our own feelings and share them with one another. You know, in that kind of um, spirit, you know, my, my week over the last couple of weeks uh, has not been great. I would have to say that. I find it really hard when these new lockdown restrictions came in. I found my mood quickly go from being okay and feeling quite optimistic to suddenly thinking, oh, no, not this again. What does this mean? How are we going to get through this? For a few nights, I felt I really couldn't sleep and I had this sort of knot in my stomach. Now, I think for many of us, that, that is the reality of what we face at the moment. We hear news of, of friends becoming ill. We, we see the news reports of things that are not yet getting that much better. We live in strange times and we're all impacted by it. But it can be easy to lose hope, can't it? But actually, we're called to be people of hope. People who encourage one another. Just look at this from 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. 
and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are already doing. Keep going. You know, if today you find yourself in a good place, then this afternoon, get on the phone, ring somebody up, see how they're doing. See if you can encourage them to stay the course with Jesus. If, say, the following day you're feeling a bit low and you're you're feeling, oh, I'm not quite so good today, why not ask somebody to pray with you? Contact the prayer phone. Get, get somebody else to pray and minister to you. We need to minister to one another. I think in the initial lockdown, I think for many of us, there, there was that sense of, well, it's, it's a bit different, this. We, we'll do all these new things. We, we'll go on to Zoom with enthusiasm. We'll watch church in our dressing gowns. For those of us who were homeschooling our kids, perhaps we thought, well, it's nice to, to have them around at lunchtime and to get that walk with us. Perhaps last April and May we were thinking, well, the weather's phenomenal, whereas now the weather is probably more formidable than phenomenal. But, you know, as I look back at the last year, as I reflect on this lockdown compared to the last one, what I realise is that in the last lockdown I made some really quite significant mistakes. Because what I did was I tried to live as if nothing was really the matter. I tried to live as if life would just carry on as normal. Now, that didn't involve breaking the rules, What it did mean was that I lived very busily. I filled every moment with stuff, whether it was church stuff or whether it was going onto the internet trying to buy things that I thought I need. And just just random things like, you know, we thought we might need a whole load of yeast to bake bread. So we were ordering yeast from the Far East and it took four months to arrive. It was a bit self-defeating. But now we find ourselves in a similar situation. What do I know I have to change? Well, I have to know that actually as I read the gospel, I'm called to be a person who keeps my eyes on Jesus, who doesn't panic in the situation that I find myself in, that I need to be kinder to myself. Me and Claire have committed to living simply at this time, to being kinder to ourselves and kinder to other people. And I think I've actually learned that keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus is the thing that keeps us going, the thing that encourages us and the things that means that we have something to offer to other people. In a sense, that's what repentance in in one way is about. It's about looking at our past and saying, actually, I didn't do things the way God wanted me to do. But God comes in Christ. He wipes the slate clean and he says, how are you going to live now? What does life look like now that you're following me? So just think about your life more broadly today. As Jesus calls us to follow him in repentance and faith, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What changes? Well, as the gospel unfolds, as the gospel writers start to tell of the ministry of Jesus, if we're following Jesus and being people of his priorities, then we will find ourselves doing the things that he does. We'll find ourselves naturally wanting to pray for the sick. We'll find ourselves naturally loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Turning away from those things like anger or pride, being filled with compassion for one another, being people of peace, and people of prayer, and being a blessing to others, being a blessing to our communities. The third R that I want to talk about, and this is quite briefly, is about renewal. Now, sometimes I think we we use this word when we talk about renewal. We we perhaps use it in the context of of a church, you know, seeking renewal, seeking um, the spirit to just get away of any sort of sense of deadness and lack of life and breathe his, his life and renewal into us. And perhaps we have a passion for evangelism or for reading the word at a deeper level or praying at a deeper level. And of course, it's right that we, we seek God's renewal in our lives in that way. 
But when Jesus calls us to follow him in repentance and faith, he is calling for us to be part of the renewing of all things that Jesus will achieve through his cross, his resurrection, and his return. Jesus says, be part of the new creation that comes about through his resurrection. As we look towards Revelation, where God says, behold, I am making everything new. We're called to be part of that. We're called to be part of this cosmic renewal. But it starts with believing in Jesus and saying yes to his way and no to our old ways. Now, that journey with Jesus does have a starting point. You know, today you may be listening to this and you may be thinking, well, I've actually not yet said yes to Jesus. I've not yet said yes to that call to follow him in repentance and faith. If that is you today, can I encourage you to step out in faith, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, to put your old life behind you and to follow after Jesus, living life his way. And the promise is in scripture that we'll be born again. We will be born again of the spirit. We will find a new life, a new hope and a new purpose for living. But this call to repentance and faith is not just a one-off. It's not a tick box exercise, but it's a dynamic call to relationship, to discipleship, to that ongoing life with Jesus. When you hear Jesus today say, repent, and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean for you? What does it mean in lockdown three? Now, I don't know. I'm not going to answer that question for you. But what I would encourage you to do today is just take some time, perhaps sit in the quietness and ask God, what does this mean for me? What needs to change in my life so my eyes are fixed on Jesus and I'm going to live 2021 his way? Just in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer together. And it may be that actually this is a prayer you can say amen to at the end. If it is, please do join in with me and say amen. Or perhaps you're you're not there yet. Perhaps there are some things in this prayer that you think, I'm not quite comfortable saying that. I don't feel in that place today. If that's not you, can I encourage you to say, Lord, help me make this prayer one that I can say amen to. So I'm just going to leave a moment just of stillness. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, I hear you calling to repentance and belief. I'm sorry for the times where I live my life my own way, where my actions and thoughts, my deeds and my desires fail you. Please forgive me. Lord, today I commit to turning to you afresh. Where my life is full of my own illusions, bring your truth. Where my life is full of confusion, bring your clarity. Where my life feels hopeless, renew my trust. Renew me, refresh me, remould me, fill me again with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be a blessing this day to other people. Help me to live a life thankful for all that you have done. Help me to share the good news of the gospel. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.